Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Sharger. On May 24th, 2014, more than a dozen indigenous poets, storytellers, musicians, and spoken word artists performed at an event entitled Our Land, Culture, Community. Story, poetry, song, music, rap for liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, whose mission is to affirm the rights of Indigenous peoples, their right to self-determination, their collective human and civil rights, the rights of sovereignty, and the protection of sacred sites, and the free, unrestricted movement across international borders. Today's 30 Minutes continues with Part 2 of a multi-part series featuring host and organizer Simon J. Ortiz, an indigenous poet and writer of Acoma Pueblo Heritage who specializes in indigenous literature. He is a Regents Professor of English at Arizona State University and convened many of the artists and introduced the speakers. We'll hear from Bojan Lewis, who's a member of the Navajo Nation, a poet, fiction writer, and essayist who earns his ends in writing time by working as an electrician, construction worker, and adjunct English and creative writing instructor at Arizona State University and other community colleges in the Phoenix area. Laura Tohi grew up near the Chuska Mountains on the eastern border of the Diné homeland. She currently lives in Mesa, Arizona. A poet, writer, and librettist, Tohi's work has been published in the journals Plowshares, New Letters, Red Ink, World Literature Today, and many others. Finally, on 30 Minutes, we'll go out with music by Klee Benali, the lead vocalist and guitarist of Navajo punk rock band Blackfire. Benali is also an activist, artist, silversmith, and filmmaker. He performs traditional Navajo dances and is a champion fancy war dancer. Here is Simon Ortiz on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our next big speaker, presenter, is a uh, very fine uh, poet. He also does uh, uh, some prose, but uh, I know mostly know his, uh, his poetry. And uh, he's been preparing a book for uh, publication that I hope that it's... Uh, out soon because uh, I want to I want to read it. Uh, I uh, teach at uh, ASU, and uh, our next speaker is Bojan Lewis. is a graduate at uh, from the writing program at uh, uh, he got his master's at uh, ASU uh, last year, and so he also has plans to go on to. Uh, find a uh, PhD program and I think, uh, you know, wanting to be a scholar who passes on the use and the word of uh, creative literature as well as scholarly uh, writing and thinking. So please, let's welcome uh, Bojan Lewis, who is of the Navajo Nation. Please, Bojan. Hi, thanks, uh, thanks everyone for coming out. Thanks, Simon, for inviting me. Um, I actually graduated in 2009. <laughs> but it, time flies, I know, I know. <laughs> and I now teach at ASU. It's okay. Made me feel young. 
I'm just going to read a few poems from this collection called Currents, a lot of which has to do with borders, ideas of electricity, um, relationships, family. I've been an electrician as well for nine years, so a lot of that kind of makes its way into this work and informs my, my form, my meter, images, whatever. So I'll just get to it. Uh, this one's called Electricity. The morning roundups, a current leaking to earth without interruption or a fault. Above busted street lights, the sun buzzes to a cuffed line of deportees. The sheriff's imbalanced authority. Any laborer gathered for a tear-out agrees the pleasure of opening walls is the view of what's no longer behind. The restrained motion of a body caught within a fence run between language is a union of shock and memory. So I've been working on this book for like nine years. <laughs> uh, I didn't get my MFA in poetry, I got it in fiction, so I don't know if that's a testament to education or what, I don't know. Fiction just takes longer, honestly. Yeah, so this, the, the setting of these poems is all over the, all over the place, from Sitka, Alaska, to um, Arizona, East Coast. Um, I've never read this one out loud before, so. So this is called Hydrolysis. The setting is Coal Mine Mesa on the Navajo Nation. To hunt work down, her dad slurred, as consistently as the days his unemployment was condoned. No mail delivery or landlines. She hitched any time the neighbor's wagon passed. Funny, in the 50s, most of the country drove had buses stopping at the long end of dirt ruts. Wouldn't have mattered. Liver failure, dysentery, would keep him home. Before ever playing with books and paper, my mother swung axes, kindling a priority over that of her hearts. The hope for supper and frosted dune dawns indebted the family to wood. Her siblings and her stole what made stars burn from gas cans at the trading posts and huff that into their lungs. It's neat to scissor perforated outlines so that the cut keeps. Feathered edges thirst for moisture, dissolve and warble like voices nixing sleep. Somnambulant sons and daughters cleaved from the everyday bonding of their parents. If it's not them who alter, it's you. It's knock-up when solar hues Dampen the trek home's frost after a desperate and smitten bow, whose bed is already shared by a sibling, swears palm to chest that his groin is sated, no longer a trope of want or population, but a tropic above the equator where one heat is necessary, one heat is good. Handouts by diapers hardly ever. Do food sometimes. A belly stretched, marked, and loose after a body's exit is again a plasterer's hawk, a temporary hole before a more permanent smearing. Lead paint bleeding into asbestos, crumbling to flake and dust, an interlock of detritus, dead weeds blown against volcanic rock. Birth to birth, all this. Off the uranium wind reservation, on Utah farms and in cities, God comes easy. A touching that's domestic, 
the fault of being language naughty or sun darkened pretty, simple as thighs like chicken skin, a telling that is contraband distributed on the home front, where the more one loses oneself, the less is asked of them. It's better if monsters are vanquished with our stories, done in by hero twins, mom's words. Labyrinths aren't nature's making. Humans obsessed over harnessing a pattern, placing dead ends, calling walls art. Whether trimmed hedge or bonded by mortar, both, anything really began in water. And it keeps us, and it keeps us. Despite my traditional knowing there's no other being I'll see in the poorly stained cabinet willed to me, a Greek he monster, myth trim and fit with afflictions of earth, moss beard, stump horns, hoof foot, and lichen plaque, not an ideal, more a reject that science or the Pope will heal. It's not a matter of what I see. After a burial, the, the unstained shelves can be burned. Time, in any circumstance, disfigures. Basically, don't be bothered by what you can't know. Keep at that bucolic dream, the one where money is no problem, but something else is, like sky without bird, gust with no pollen, or season with one temperature. A place where wind never quits. It's just some other way. So I'm vying for Feel Good Poet of the Year. <laughs> Thanks, I missed a few words on that, actually. <laughs> um, so I'm actually, I'm gonna read this poem. Uh, it's the first one that I ever wrote for the collection, like nine, nine years ago, before I even knew what a collection was or even what I was doing, so. You know, thousands of drafts later, whatever. It's called Red Dirt. I work to be more than roots in dirt, fed through days of heat and dust, evaporating into a brittle husk, withdrawn and left as only remains. Whether stirred out by force or removed in mechanic iron swoops, I'm simple, passed over and dumped onto a pile of old ground turned up, open to the air. Bound in earth pack, I release seeds, my blood to be windblown and spread. Straining from new foundation, I reach to hold all else, Settled, empty of breath. <laughs> Thanks. I also got to admit, it's nerve-wracking that I have to follow Leslie Marvin Soko. <laughs> she said some, like, profound, and I'm like, here's some depressing poems. <laughs> so this is one I've just recently finished. It's a triptych. It's for our buffoonish politicians and sheriffs and other numbskulls. And hopefully you can recognize the characters by each of their subtitles. Uh, the, the whole title is called If Nothing, The Land. One, the toughest sheriff in the world. There is no other bad than what I say is bad. It's tough living on this land. Miles of desert, undeveloped. The interstates, mostly unmanned, are threads spool, unspooled down broad hallways. Beyond the edge, the space is dead a rogue trailer or redskin reservation. Backward problems of 
amphetamine and rape. Those doors have their own police, their own dumb justice. I concern my posse with invasion. Paperless beaners, rust that ruins a polish. Inedible animals do no man any good until buried. Cease the flies and stink. Uh, the, second, the second one is called Flock of Seagulls. If not thousands, then millions of hours I've played Bang Bang. Nabbed bad guy brownies and kung fu grip shoot 'em ups. Who's better to fit patrol kids in tiny pants than a convicted man? Limits like borders stretch thin and tear. If anyone can get a gun, then shouldn't everyone have one at the ready? Like in the glory days, a roundup of savages, spicks, and spooks out to devalue our kids, good at killing their own. I learned from watching birds. Nestled within cacti, though there may be many, a single bird more makes another cavity, an eventual collapse. And the, th the third one is called, if anyone's read, I eat scorpions for breakfast. Only chickens dismantle scorpions quickly, like pit crews their driver's vehicle. Urged forward by pickers, the hands bob and, and amble over fallen oranges, bruised grapefruit. Seek pincers, stingers, exoskeletons. Their work urgent and efficient. Back at the coop, stubborn roosters fight, bloody and unfeather each other until the losers peck frail chicks from the clutch, strew limp bodies beneath the fluorescent light. The hens return, squawk, and circle the carcasses until the migrants transfer them in sacks meant for citrus. To anonymous holes on the terrain. I think it's nice to make someone you dislike more eloquent than they really are. Um, am I good on time? Do I got done? I'm done. <laughs> I'm finished. So says the mighty and lovable Simon Diotis. Thank you. Thank you, Bojan. You are listening to Remarks Made at Our Land, Culture, Community, Story, Poetry, Song, Music, Rap for Liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders. That was Bojan Lewis. Up next, Laura Tohi. We do have to share time, you know. The next, next uh, is uh, Laura Tohi. I haven't seen her yet. Oh, there she is. Hey, Laura is one of my favorite colleagues up at uh, ASU. Yeah. Laura is, uh, is from the Navajo Nation, and uh, you have to read Laura to enjoy her, but she's as, uh, uh, of course, uh, enjoyable and prolific and uh, very insightful uh, in reading as well. Her book, No Parole Today, is one of the very, very famous looks at indigenous or Native American people in boarding schools, Indian boarding schools. Uh, some of you may remember those. I sure, I sure do. They're not uh, quite the same uh, anymore, but they're still boarding schools, uh, wherever they may be. 
And then uh, you have to read her latest book on the Code Talkers, Code Talkers stories, which is wonderful. And uh, her father was a uh, Code Talker. And during uh, World War II, when the Navajo uh, service, military servicemen were uh, enlisted to uh, create a uh, language that was coded, their own language, and used uh, against the enemy in the South Pacific, which were the Japanese, uh, in order to communicate during wartime. So with that, uh, please welcome uh, Laura Tohi. I'm always the shortest one at these things. Um, thank you, Simon, for inviting me, and uh, to all of you for coming out this evening and celebrating stories, poetry, words, and music. And I also want to uh, thank Leslie for your remarks on um, this world now that we, where we are being watched or our emails being read. I read on, the, or I heard on the news a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that um, you know, with all these cameras up now everywhere we go, that in a day there's like 32 times we are being seen on on these you know cameras. You know, so everywhere we go, um, scary, scary stuff. I want to start out first by reading a poem that I'm going to include in this manuscript I'm writing on about family uh, stories, but it's also part of. Uh, this contemporary world that uh, we live in. Um, the Navajo people at one time didn't allow the mother-in-law to see her son-in-law. There were strict rules against that, and there's long stories about that. that um, has to do with um, the stars. Okay, so I'll just leave it at that. The son-in-law who could cause blindness. A long time ago, a mother-in-law was forbidden to see her son-in-law, even though they lived in an extended family arrangement. They say such a vision could cause blindness, so the people avoided such meetings. which was my great-grandmother, rode to the trading post in the wagon one morning. Her young great-granddaughter sat beside her in the back. When they arrived, her daughter tied the horses to the elm trees that stood outside the store. Some of the people had arrived earlier by horse and wagon. Before going inside to conduct their business, the people gathered under the shade of the elm trees to catch up on all the latest stories and gossip going around. Unbeknownst to Asahohotzahi, her son-in-law suddenly walked out of the trading post. One of the men called out to warn her. Quickly, her daughter threw a blanket over her head before they saw each other. It was okay for the son-in-law son to approach then. From under the blanket, she carried on a conversation, the sweat rolling down her face. When they concluded their conversation and her son-in-law was safely out of sight, her daughter removed the blanket. Asahohotasi wiped her face with her long skirt. And even then, in old age, her eyes left her. This is a story that my mother 
told me about my great-grandmother. Uh, she didn't have an English name, but she was called Snahoholdasi, uh, which means meteor woman, because um, there was a meteor that fell near her homeland, you know, some centuries ago, or maybe thousands of years ago. This is called Blue Impala. That time I stole a blue impala and flagstaff. The first year they made those automatic windows, you know. I was 16 and I was cruising down the highway on the trail to Albuquerque. I was hungry and I was howling, man. It was like stealing the best horse in the herd. <laughs> Um, this, this is a poem I wrote uh, several, well, actually my son, my oldest son, when he was 15, uh, we had just moved to Arizona, to Phoenix, and he used to walk to school with his friends. It's called The Danger That Follows Him. You walk home from school with your friends, making Friday night plans. Who has the late, latest heavy metal CDs, cute girls in history class? living the life of a 15-year-old boy. At that moment, between talk of girls and nirvana, a car speeds past, filled with angry voices seeking its prey. The challenge thrown from the windows, enticing its victims. You too have come to know the power of words, the power of gestures. You are there on the street that is busy with cars, thinking you are invincible in your invisible armor. The beast turns around and searches for your young lives. Two guys wielding baseball bats spring out of the car. From what world did they come? What makes them hungry for the sound of crushing bones, grunts breaking from unkissed lips, blood spilling into the cracks of the sidewalk? What makes them seek to undo young lives, the swing of the bat cracking the skull that I once protected so carefully, fingers that once curled around mine, now useless against the onslaught of this senseless beating? What makes me think you can be safe walking home, seeking safety in the backyard of a frightened, lonely woman who sees you taking cover and thinks you are thieves? So she rushes to dial 911 and swears to the police that you dropped a tool to break in with when it was only your backpack full of books and gym shoes. And the police believe the words of the frightened woman who believes all the stories in the papers and television, who believes her, not the voices of the young, not the voices of the innocent, and not you, my son, but the voices that create the danger. This is the world that has been let loose while I was home sprinkling fritos on your favorite meal, unaware of the danger that follows you. And then I'll just read this um, last one. It's called uh, The Sacred Tortilla. <laughs> I like tortillas, blue bird flower tortillas. Uh, the Sacred Tortilla. When I moved to Arizona, I expected to come home to good Mexican cuisine. 
the kind that makes you sweat and you have to keep wiping your face. I had been living in the Midwest, eating mildly bland, passable Mexican food, and all the time my taste buds were in the Southwest. Then I moved back and dreams of green chili danced in my head and the tortillas that I grew up with, the kind my mother made in the enamel bowl, several handfuls of flour, a pinch of salt and baking powder, just enough water to make the dough soft. Then she kneaded it and let it rise under a white dish towel. When it was ready, she pinched off soft white balls, rolled it in her hands, stretched it, and slapped it back and forth into round, thin shapes until it looked as flat as a full moon. Sometimes she placed it on my little brother's face so that he looked like the man in the moon. He giggled, and we with him. Then she placed the tortilla on the cast-iron skillet. It was one of the prized possessions of a Navajo woman to have a skillet that faithfully receives the food for cooking. The tortilla covered the entire skillet, and like an artist, she could sense time in her hands, knowing when to turn it 90 degrees the way my grandmother taught me. She'd move the tortilla around the skillet, and at just the right moment, flipped it over. It looked like the surface of a planet that NASA beamed back to Earth. Sometimes craters broke out on the surface, but it was my mother's tortilla with its dark brown toasted spots. A woman once discovered the face of Christ in her tortilla. The priest was called in to bless it, and the people stood in lines to wonder at it. Tortillas are sacred. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Laura. And now we want to uh, hear some uh, uh, music, which are really, I think, uh, part of poems. Just because I'm a poet makes me say that, right? Well, uh, songs and singing, of course, are very, very basic uh, human expression. And uh, our next uh, presenter is uh, Klee uh, Benali, who is also one of our, I would say, principal organizers of uh, protecting the earth. And uh, he's a leader uh, of uh, not only young people, uh, in Flagstaff, but uh, really a, a lot of uh, other people, tribal member, Native American or indigenous American uh, tribal peoples as well as uh, non-indigenous uh, people because we all need to protect the earth. And it is uh, my pleasure to welcome uh, Klee Benali uh, to uh, make a presentation. He will also help to close off the, the evening. But for now, please welcome uh, Klee. been listening to remarks made at an event entitled Our Land, Culture, Community, 
story, poetry, song, music, rap for liberation. The event was a benefit for the Indigenous Alliance Without Borders, whose mission is to affirm the rights of Indigenous peoples, their right to self-determination, their collective human and civil rights, the rights of sovereignty, and the protection of sacred sites, the free, unrestricted movement across international borders. Today's 30 Minutes included host Simon J. Ortiz, an indigenous poet and writer of Acoma Pueblo Heritage, who specializes in indigenous literature, followed by Bojan Lewis, Laura Tohi, and ending with Klee Benali. I'm Amanda Shager. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. This has been part three of a multi-part series. That you sing And now we sing again Into the house of the dark And now there are no words That can right this wrong This empire of blood and bones Of poison stolen Genocide, mutilated ghosts Your fierce hearts lay buried Their struggle speaks Fierce hearts lay buried Saying leave it in the ground Come on, those of you who are resisting Rosemont Mine know what I'm talking about.